to the City on a Hill Church Forest Hills podcast. We exist to see our neighbors from every culture follow Jesus as King. We're glad you're here and thanks for listening. More information about the life and mission of City on a Hill can be found at coahforesthills.org. My name is Stephen and I've met you. So glad that you're here today with us as we celebrate two years as a church. Um, so this is our two-year anniversary, um, and uh, and so we met September 13th, 2020. Uh, it was a lot different back then. Uh, we couldn't sing. Uh, we had to video Matt and show Matt on the screen. Uh, that was fun. Everybody was masked up. Uh, it was different for sure. So we're not going to do like a we're not going to celebrate that by replicating that this morning, I promise you. So uh, just glad that you're all here today. Um, welcome. If you are a guest with us, as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, there is a blue card in your seat. You can fill that out. That gives us a couple of ways to, to get in contact with you and follow up with you and help you get connected here at City on a Hill. And so we'd love uh, to help you get connected. And uh, for filling out that card, we have a $5 gift card to Thurcliffe Bakery that we'll send you, as well as midweek, we'll send you an email with some uh, different uh, uh, charities that we can, you can pick from and we'll make a donation in your name uh, to one of those charities. And so you can take that card, drop it in the black box in the back on the way out. Our values as a church are the gospel, community, and mission. The gospel means good news that we were once separated from God. And because, because of that, God sent his own son, Jesus, to die for our sins, to pay the penalty of our sin. And because of that, anyone can have a relationship with God. Anyone can enter into that through simply trusting what Jesus has done for them. And if you've not entered into that relationship with God through Jesus, I'm going to be at the back after the service. Come find me. I'd love to share with you how to do that. Secondly, community. God created us for relationships. He created us to, to grow best with other people. And we do that here at City on a Hill through community groups. And you've come on a great Sunday uh, because we're about to kick off our fall semester of community groups. Uh, community groups are groups of six to 12 people who get together during the middle of the week, study God's word, encourage each other, love our neighbors. And so if you're not in a community group yet, this is, you're, you've come at a great time. Um, if you're in a community group, this is a great time to re-up. And so in, at, the, at the back, there's a big long table uh, with all of our different community groups. We have four community groups geared for adults, and we have one for our high, junior high and high school students. And so I want you to go back there, find the group that is going to be best for you. Um, Haven, Haven, raise your hand. Haven's going to be back there. She is very friendly, I promise, and she will help you find the group that is best for you. So be sure to do that and to sign up. Um, we'll have signups today and next week, and then the groups will start on September 18th. So be sure to get signed up for that. The third value we have is mission. Uh, God created us to join him in his purpose of making all things new and spreading his glory to the end of the world. And we do this through telling others about Jesus, and we do this through living life shaped by Jesus. Because Jesus has served us, we serve and love our neighbors. All right, a couple of announcements before we jump into the Bible today. Uh, first is right after the service, we are going to be having a little treat because it's our second anniversary. We're going to be having these gourmet popsicles from a place called Wild Pops. And so they're healthy. So if you're looking to be, keep healthy, they're, they're all fruit. And we're going to have those right outside on the front lawn. So please stick around, hang out, uh, and, and get yourself a free popsicle. Uh, coming up on September 23rd, we have our newcomer dinner. So if you're new to City on a Hill, you've been around for maybe a couple months, or even if this is your first week and you're looking to get more involved, these, this will help you take that next step. We'll have dinner at my house. You can spend some time with my family. I'm going to cook for you. Don't let that scare you away. Um, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So be sure to sign up for that through our event page, coahforesthills.org slash events. 
And then coming up in October is our church retreat. Every October we go away with our other City on a Hill congregations in Brighton, Somerville, and Brookline, and we get away to New Hampshire for a weekend and just spend some time with the Lord, enjoy hanging out with each other, and it's going to be an incredible time, October 21st through 23rd. Today is the final day for the early bird rate. So who likes to save money? I don't know if you're not raising your hand. I don't know what's wrong with you. Who likes to save money? Okay, so if you like to save money, today is your day. Be sure to sign up. You can sign up after the day. It's just going to cost you more money. And so um, be sure to do that, again, through the event page, coaforesthills.org slash events. Now, this morning, we are starting a deep dive into the book of Genesis. And if you have not gotten a copy yet, I mentioned this at the beginning of the service, this is a scripture journal, a scripture journal, a Bible journal. And if you look on the inside, it actually has some space for you to journal through the book of Genesis. So if you've not gotten one of these, on the back table on the right, we have a stack of them. So feel free to jump up, grab one, grab a pen. This is our gift to you for you to have over the next year. We're going to be spending the next, almost the next year, uh, going through the book of Genesis. And we're going to be diving deep into this book. And you might be wondering, why are we going through a series in Genesis? Why will we spend so much time looking at people's genealogy and this stuff that happened thousands of years ago. Why are we going to do that? And the reason is, is that the questions we ask, the questions that our unbelieving friends and neighbors ask, the question that we often ask, and sometimes the questions that may be a struggle for us when it comes to Christianity are answered in the book of Genesis. Genesis answers these questions that are that people are exploring when it comes to faith. And these hard questions, these difficult questions, these objections to Christianity are not things that we should run from. These are things that we should press into. We should, we should explore these questions. And as we look at the book of Genesis over the next about 10 months, um, it's going to give us a picture of why we're here. We're going to have a greater understanding of why God put us on earth, uh, the way the world was supposed to be, and really how did the world get this way? Because if Genesis had a subtitle, it would be how the world was created and messed up in three easy steps. Uh, we see very early the world starts out perfect and good and right and then very quickly goes to hell in a handbasket to use a saying for where I grew up. Everything kind of gets messed up real quick. And so if you want to break down the book of Genesis into kind of two big parts, the first part is Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 11. And that's what we're going to be covering this fall, leading through November, and then we'll have a series through Advent. Um, but as we look at those first 11 chapters, we're really looking at God creating a whole world full of people. How did God create the world, and then how did we get here? The second half of the book, our second part of the book, we'll pick up in the new year is Genesis 12 through 50, and it's really God calling a people for the whole world. So what does it look like for God to work through one type of people to be a blessing to all people? And as we look at Genesis, we're going to see all, a lot of our ethics as, as people, as Christians, just kind of generally in our culture, are drawn from our understanding of what we see in the book of Genesis. We're drawn right from these pages. But however, when we read the opening chapter of Genesis, we're immediately hit with some challenges. And this may be the reason that you struggle with Christianity, because you believe that you've got to kind of check your intellect at the door. You've got to check science at the door, that science and faith can't really coexist. And this may be the struggle for you when it comes to finally trusting Jesus with your life. And especially if you are a Westerner, if you grew up in the Western Hemisphere, you grew up in, in you know, Western Europe, you grew up in, in the United States, Canada, like if you grew up in this part of the world, um, the questions we tend to ask are, are not the questions that the biblical writers would have been asking. The questions we immediately start to think of are, what is the age of the earth? Is it young earth creation or old earth creation? Is the earth 10,000 years old or billions of years old? 
are these 24-hour days literal? Are these 24-hour days figurative? Or is there a framework? Like, what about evolution? We start bringing all of our questions to the text. And the thing is, is these questions are important. These are really important questions, and we want to answer those questions. In fact, if you have a question, just text it. I'm going to give you a number. It's not on the screen. So I'm going to give you a number. Text to 617-286-2006. Again, that's 617 617- 286-2006. And as you, as you text us questions, if you have a question about any of this stuff, text it to us. And later in the fall, we're going to do a seminar, we'll do a Q&A, and we'll answer all of these technical questions outside of a worship service. These are important questions, but when we think about the answers to these questions, young earth, old earth, literal 24 day, hour day, whatever it might be, there are lots of Christians across history and time who love Jesus who take God's word seriously and have just come to different conclusions. We'll explore those later. But what if those aren't the questions that the author of Genesis was trying to get at? Moses, who we believe wrote Genesis, what if that's not really what he was looking to do? What if he wasn't looking to answer how God created the universe, the process and the way that God created the universe? And so we need to take a step back and ask ourselves if we're actually reading the Bible the way that it was intended. Uh, e. e. Randolph Richards wrote this incredible book called Mis- Misreading the Scriptures Through Western Eyes. And he said, before we can be confident we're reading the Bible accurately, we need to understand what assumptions and values we project onto the Bible. All of us have a culture, a background, an upbringing that affects the way that we read. It affects the way that we perceive the information that we're receiving. So an old example of this would be, imagine that you're coming up on a hotel, and on the sign, it says, no football coaches. Now, that might seem really odd, unless you're where? Anybody got a guess? Unless you're in England. Because in England, football would be what we would call soccer, and what we would call a bus, they would call a coach. So they don't just dislike Bill Belichick. That's not what the, what's going on there. Is that they don't want football coaches or soccer buses to show up with a bunch of rowdy athletes and tear up their hotel. You heard and heard those words through a cultural lens. And the Bible, particularly Genesis, is written through a lens that we have to kind of step out of our worldview and understand the worldview of the Bible to really get at the questions that are being asked. That what's really being asked here is not primarily trying to answer the scientific how of creation. And this is actually really freeing for you and I because maybe that's your huge hang-up. Maybe your huge hang-up is that. Did you believe that you can't have science and faith? But in reality, these two things aren't enemies. There's nothing science is going to discover that's going to be a threat to God. That's really freeing, right? And in fact, science can clarify our understanding of the Bible. Psalm 93 verse 1 talks about how the earth is fixed in place. Now, for for centuries and millennia, people believed that the earth was the center of the universe and that the earth didn't move. So that verse was interpreted to to mean that the earth never moved. Well, as Galileo proved that the earth rotated on an axis and that we were moving around the sun, our interpretation changed to understand that it's not that the earth is physically fixed, it's a picture of God's greatness and goodness that this world will not pass away outside of his care and control. There's also ways where we see that the Bible is ahead of discovery, and it's been proven right about the nature of plants and biology, geology, physics, the nature of water. And what this shows us is that because we don't have to be afraid of it, because we're freed from it, we're free to explore, we're free to think, we're free to dig into those difficult questions because they don't have to be a threat to our faith. 
St. Augustine, the, the famous African bishop in the fourth century, spent his entire life wrestling with these questions. He spent his entire life wrestling with the, the age of the earth and the days, but it never shook his faith because that wasn't the point. Genesis isn't attempting to answer the how of creation, it's attempting to answer the why of creation, the who of creation. And every worldview, which is what Genesis is giving us, is a way to see the world, is trying to answer five questions. J. Richard Milton and Brian Walsh wrote this book called Truth is Stranger Than It Used to Be, and they said there are five questions. Every worldview is trying to answer where are we, who are we, what's wrong, what's the solution, and what time is it? Basically, what do we do with that? So where are we, who are we, what's wrong, what's the solution, what time is it? And clearly here in Genesis 1, we see that the answer to that question is in the very first few words, in the beginning, God. God is the reason that we exist. And so creation is meant to point us towards the God who created us, a God who wants to be known by us. And the point of creation is Revelation 4.11. It says, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. So what does creation specifically show us about God? The first point this morning is that creation shows God's power. Creation shows us his power. And as we look at the creation account, we see his power. We see his glory. We see his sovereign rule over all things. And it says here, in the beginning. And so for there to be a beginning of time and creation as we know it, there has to be one who has no beginning. We have a God who is beginningless. We have a God who has existed before all things. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or even you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Our God is eternal. He is eternally powerful. He is eternally great. There's nothing that affects or impacts him because he's above and over creation. That our God has existed forever as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this beautiful community that God has no rival, he has no equal, and that we are not here by any sort of accident. He is our God. And we see God's name mentioned in the creation account 35 times. I have children, they often say my name, feels like 35 times a minute. They're trying to get my attention. The text is trying to grab our attention and point us towards God. And we see that this text and in in really the, enti- the entire Bible in our entire life is ultimately about God. Frank Borman, who was on Apollo 8, as he was circling the earth, actually opened a Bible and read Genesis 1 and said, there has to be a power greater than us. When we look at the creation that God has made, our eyes should be open to the fact that we have a God who is greater than we are. And we see God in the creation story begin to create and he takes what was formless and he gives it form. He takes what was void and he fills it. And here's where we really start to see the creative power of God is in the manner in which God creates. We see in verse three, it says, and God said, and God said, God spoke creation into being. I don't know about you, I love Star Wars as a kid. And I always wanted like that Jedi mind trick on people. You see Obi-Wan, so you know, there are no droids here. I always wanted to do that because I'm kind of a nerd. And, but I, we can't do that. 
I remember seeing this, Maria and a kid, I'd walk up to the automatic doors and be like, uh, open. And they'd open because I was standing really close to them. And I felt like I could kind of speak that into existence. We have a God who's powerful enough to speak. And we see this seven times in this account where God speaks and there was light. God said and the sky rolled out. God spoke and vegetation sprung forth. He he spoke and there was sun and moon and stars and and swimming creatures and birds and, and living creatures upon the ground. We see God speak all these things into existence. And the understanding, the wording here is the word ex nihilo. The word ex nihilo just means out of nothing. The one who was uncreated, who existed before there was anything, created all things. And we live in a universe where science shows us that that matter is finite. God created all that matter, meaning that you and I have never truly created anything. All we've ever done is take and cultivate and manipulate the matter that God has given us and made it into something different. And the reason we know that we don't have the same creative power as God is something like a seed. We can't replicate a seed. A seed is the beginning of life. And so we can't do what only God can do. And what's amazing about it is is as God says it, it happens. It says the wording, and it was so. The word so is actually meant to have an echo, like you're in this room, the word so. that As it happened, you saw creation burst onto the scene. And this would have been so different from the way that the Hebrews would have experienced their neighbors and their stories. All the Mesopotamian people around them would have been telling stories of creation, and their stories would not have been stories of a good and perfect God outside of creation who spoke it gently into being. It would have been a story of chaos, a story of good versus evil. And if you track a number of these stories, what begins to happen is you see that it was good gods versus bad gods. And as they, as they fought and clashed and they were wrestling and somebody dropped the elbow drop off the top rope, all of a sudden creation came into being. Or it may have been that there were gods and there were monsters and through this conflict and this chaos, creation came into being. But we see God speak. Can you imagine the sound of nothing? Imagine the complete and utter silence, and in the midst of that, God speaks, and it was so. That God's creation was peaceful and flowed out of his love. We see God's power in this text through the fact that God named everything. This is a big clue for us that our God is powerful, because to be able to name something in that culture would have been the same as having authority. In verse 5, we see that God named the day and the night. Verse 8, we see uh, that God named the heavens. In verse 10, we see that God named the lands and the sea and the earth. We see God naming things. We see God classifying things by its different kinds and types. But there's one area in the text here that shows us very specifically what God is, is trying to do, what God is trying to let us know. And it's verses 14 through 18, where we see that God created the sun and the moon and the stars. And this is really important because remember, these are Hebrew people trying to live distinctly and differently from their their pagan neighbors who all would have believed that their gods were what? Gods of the sun and the moon and the stars. And so now Moses, who's written this text, he's writing it to these people. Where did they just come from? They just came from Egypt. Egypt. And who was Egypt's main god? It was the god Ra, who was the god of the sun. And what Moses is saying is, our god is greater. Our god is mightier. 
Our God is not bound by creation. He is above and over creation. He created these things, and he is the Lord of the heaven and the earth, and the heavens declare his glory. He is a God who is outside of time and space. Do you see his greatness? Do you you see his power? Secondly, we see that creation shows us God's purpose. This was not an accident. God had a very clear and intentional purpose in creation, and it existed in the mind of God from eternity past. And so creation is the unfolding of God's plan for our world, and you see God taking tender care over this plan. If you're responsible for something, if you're the one who has authority over something, let's say you have a project at work, you want to make sure that that project gets done right, correctly? You want to, you want to, you want to, you want to handle that yourself. We see God's tender care in verse 2 when it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water, this formless and void world. And that imagery of hovering is the image of an eagle spreading its wings over its young. We see God's tender care in creation as he takes what was formless and gives it form. He takes what was formless and meaningless and gives it meaningful form. And we see that God is doing this in verse 3 when he says, let there be light. I don't know if you've ever worked on a project. You know what the first thing you need to do in a home project? You need light. Um, Because, you know, I don't want to try to hammer anything in the dark. Uh, It sounds like a really great way to get a trip to the emergency room. If you've ever worked in any sort of construction, when does the day end when there's no more light? Or you add lighting. Light is an essential component to creation and to work. We see God's intention that this was, the creation was going to be purposeful and meaningful. We see God beginning to shape the earth and separate the waters in verse 6. We see him forming land masses and mountains in verse 9. So he gives form to what had no form. We see what was unproductive become productive. Vegetation springs forth and it comes forth. And this is a really beautiful picture of the way that God created plants to work. They come forth and what do plants do? They're self-propagating. They, they drop seeds and they grow more plants. And I, and I don't know all the ways that that works. I'm not a scientist, but I know that it happens. And think about this. Think about all the ways that an ecosystem must run to work. All the little pieces, all the little aspects of that. God created that and created the world that we live in to be productive. He created it so that plants would flourish, so animals could flourish. It went from unproductive to productive. The world also went from uninhabited to inhabited. There was water creatures and birds in verses 20 and 21. We see land animals in verse 24. Next week, we'll really zero in on God creating people, that God created the world with a purpose for living beings, creatures, to live before the living God and did so in such a way that we could interact with God, we could interact with creation, and that God would bless us and make us fruitful and multiply and that this world would become full and useful. We see God's purpose in the fact that there's just some really neat order to all of this. There's a, there's a symmetry here. We see, we see night and we see day. We see the, the days of creation balancing three and three. We see a, a harmony to the way that the, all this works because at the end of each day, there was work and then God declared that it was good. And I hope what this does is you see the purpose of God is it creates an awe in you. And it creates an awe in you in the same way that the initial hearers would have been awed and a comfort in you, and a a, a safety in you. Because as you realize this, these are people who've left Egypt, they've left safety, they've left comfort. 
they're in the wilderness, they're they're experiencing difficult days, and they need to be reminded that there's a purpose to all of this, that they have a God who never makes mistakes. They're seemingly wandering, and they end up wandering for 40 years, and they have to be reminded that their life matters and has a purpose in God's greater story. And maybe you can understand that, and you feel that, that your life feels difficult, that life feels like you're just simply wandering about. And I want you to know that there is a purpose and a plan that God has for you in his greater story. And we get a tiny glimpse of this in verse 22. We get a glimpse of this greater purpose, this greater story, because for the first time, the word blessed is used. And it says, God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And we see that same idea given to to the, the land animals and later on next week, the same idea given to people that living beings would be blessed and be fruitful and multiply. And we see the purpose of God's creation is to fill it. And to fill it in such a way that God receives glory. Psalm 66 says, all the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. God's purpose is that we would fill the earth with his glory. And there's one more aspect of creation that I want to show us how, that, that, that shows us something about God. And, and I don't want to say it's the most important, but I do think it drives the home, or drives the point home better than anything else. And it's lastly, that creation shows God's beauty. We have a God who created a beautiful creation. And here's something to think about. Because there was nothing before him, everything that came from him came out of his beauty. Because there was nothing before him, everything that came into our world is the fruit of his creativity. And so creation itself should grab our attention and fix it on the one who created it. And in this way, we're all a little bit like food critics. I love to eat. And one of my kids' favorite movies is the movie Ratatouille. If you ever watched the movie, there's a rat. It's a little play on the, on the dish. And there's a, there's a man who cannot cook at all, but the rat can cook. It's a thing. I don't really understand it. But he can cook. And in the process of this, he teaches the man how to cook. And he's manipulating him and maneuvering him to cook. And this food critic comes in who's the, the most difficult critic in the world. And he sits down and he takes one bite of the meal. And what does he say? He says, bring me the person who created this dish. Bring me the one who created this because creation always points beyond itself. He had to meet the chef. And our creation is so wonderful. It's so beautiful. It's so awe-inspiring that it should cause us to want to meet the one who made it. And in this, we see God's goodness and his satisfaction in his work. And several times God saw that his work was good, that his work was beautiful, that his work was to be admired and enjoyed and awed at. This is one of the ways that we show God's goodness is to enjoy and cultivate that creation. Another way we see the beauty of God in this text is the fact that it's poetic. This this is kind of a poetic history. Genesis 1, I believe, is historical, but also it's poetic. It's very beautiful in the way that it's written. And in fact, if you read any sort of uh, kind of fantasy like you know, Lewis or Tolkien, they actually depict creation being sung into being, sung into existence. And I, I don't want to go too far and say that's what happened here, but there's a beauty to it. And you can even use your imagination just a bit and visualize what's happening. You can actually visualize in verse 3 the light dawning, a light slowly turning on. 
you can visualize the expanse of the sky being slowly rolled out. Even the way that the water above and the water below, you could, how the water, the sky was described as water. My, one of my children, I won't tell you which one because I don't want to embarrass them because uh, I, I forgot to ask about this illustration. Uh, when they were little, they would look at the sky and they'd see birds in the sky and they'd say, fish, fish, because the sky was blue and they assumed it was water. There's a, there's a poetic vision of, of this looking like water. We see the waters gathered into the hollows of God's hand. And Isaiah 40 says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and, mountains and scales and hills in a balance? We see the beauty of God's creation. We see the beauty of God's creation in him calling plants and animals and trees and bringing them forth and the beauty and diversity of every different kind and every different type. And you see you know, trees and plants and birds and fish and amphibians and reptiles and mammals. And if you love science, it should pique your interest in God. And this is why I believe that we have to focus on the beauty. Because it's what draws our hearts toward God and worship. St. Augustine, who again struggled with these questions his entire life, said, observe the beauty of the world and praise the plan of the creator. Observe what he made, love the one who made it. Hold on to this maxim above all. Love the one who made it because he also made you his lover in his own image. Creation should turn our hearts and eyes towards God. I'm a firm believer that there are only two types of people in this world. There are beach people and there are mountain people. Only two types of people in the world, okay? I am a mountain person for multiple reasons. I don't like sand. Number two, I'm pale. I'm very Irish. A lot of Irish, a lot of Italians. So me and the sun, we don't agree. I want a campfire. I want flannel. That's what I want. To, that's, my, that's my vacation. Whether you're a mountain person or a beach person, when you look at the mountains, when you look at the ocean, it should create wonder and awe and stillness and peace and we all know the feeling we're sitting there and we're looking and we're just pondering and we're thinking and we're wondering. And we've all felt that sense of smallness. There's a sense that there's something greater and bigger than us. And you don't typically sit there looking at the Atlantic Ocean and say, well, you know, 300 years ago, the Atlantic Ocean was actually 73 degrees. You know, like, we don't do that. I told that person to leave because we're called to admire its beauty. You're like sitting with a, with a friend and you're observing the Mona Lisa and, and there's lots of debate over who the model is and what year it was painted. And, you know, if you're more concerned with the brush strokes and the type of brush that was used and the frame and the material, you're missing the point. You're meant to scent and enjoy its beauty. Creation shows us the beauty of God. So what does God's creation and what it shows us mean for us? A few things as we close. And we'll dig a, get a little more granular next week. Because he's powerful, you owe him your life. Because God is powerful, you owe him everything. You were created for him. There was nothing and there was something. And so because he is the God over all things, that means that you owe him everything. And that might sound kind of scary to you, but actually that's the safest place you could possibly be because if he's the one who isn't controlled by seasons, He's not the one who's controlled by the sun or the moon or the stars or your circumstances. Then the safest place that you could possibly be is in obedience to him. So what are you struggling to trust 
God with? What are you struggling to trust the one who created all things with? Secondly, because God is powerful, you have a purpose. Nothing in this world is by chance. All creation is longing, growing, building towards this story where God will get glory above all things. And so the question is, is what are you living for? Are you living for created things instead of living for the creator? Are you living for temporary things instead of the eternal things of God? And then lastly, because he's beautiful, God wants you to enjoy his beauty and his goodness. He wants you to enjoy this through knowing him, through his son, Jesus. That longing in your heart has a destination. So what are you looking to to satisfy you? And we ultimately see the point of creation, the power, the purpose, the beauty of God fully lived out in Jesus, God the Son who became flesh. John 1, verses 1 through 5 and verse 14 start out the exact same way to show us that Jesus is the fulfillment of all creation. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And here, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus revealed the power of God by defeating sin on the cross for you. Jesus revealed the purpose of God, that God wanted to redeem you for himself. And Jesus revealed the beauty of God, that anyone who turns to Jesus will be saved and will be satisfied in him. 